on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas, and here's a question. What comes to our minds when I use the word friends? Perhaps it's those folks from New York dancing around in a fountain, or maybe it's that much-loved TV series Cheers with that catchy opening song. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. But do you remember the lyrics? Sometimes you want to go where everyone knows your name and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see troubles are all the same. You want to go where everyone knows your name. Well, the word friends has been used a lot in the headlines over this last few days, but in a rather surprising context. China's President Xi Jinping has sat down for talks with Vladimir Putin at the Kremlin, kick-starting a highly anticipated two-day visit. And the Russian leader welcomed his dear friend before saying that he'd studied Beijing's 12-point peace proposals to end the war in Ukraine. And then Mr Xi told Mr Putin, under your strong leadership, Russia has made great strides in its prosperous development. I am confident that the Russian people will continue to give you their firm support. The trip is taking place days after the International Criminal Court issued an arrest warrant for Putin for alleged war crimes. Friends. Friendship. It's talked about a lot and it's certainly what we all need. But what does it actually mean to be a true friend? Friendship, surely, is an art, but it's not something that appears on the national curriculum. It's just assumed that we will instinctively know how to be a true friend to others, which, let's be honest, is often not the case. So tonight, stay with me and let's reflect for a while on the value of true, authentic friendship. Bogner Regis, I know, despite its regal title, it's never going to make the top exotic locations in the world list. Any listeners who are residents or who love the place, please don't be too offended. Please forgive me, because here's the truth about dear old Bogner. Glorious white sand is in rather short supply. The beach is a mass of unyielding pebbles, making barefoot bathers wince as they pick their way across to the water's edge. There's a broken pier shattered by a series of devastating storms and fires. Once the home of a fabulous 1,400-seat theatre, the pier is now a sad, short iron stump jutting out into the grey sea with only a few tired amusement arcade flashing neon lights intermittently. There's something of a smell of damp and seaweed heavy in the air. But, Bogner, it holds a special place in my heart. It was in Bogner Regis that my brand new bride and I went to church the Sunday morning after our Saturday wedding. Discovering that we were newlyweds, the minister asked me to give a word of testimony about my most recent blessings. This being the morning after our wedding night, I blushed crimson red. Awkward. As a young lad, I'd spent some marvellous summers messing around on Bogner's beach. My grandparents lived just a few miles from the coast and I would regularly stay with them in the summer holidays. I would board the bus near my grandparents' house, those were the days when a 12-year-old was allowed to travel alone on a bus, and I'd make my way to Bogner Seafront to visit my friend Ian, who lived very close to the promenade. I was always given a warm welcome by his family, even though I'd not seen my friend for a whole year. 
We spent long, wonderful days, tanned deep brown by the salty sun. At the end of the afternoon, our tired limbs would be restored by delicious suppers served by Ian's mum. For a London boy, those days by the sea were heavenly. Until it happened. It was the beginning of another long, lazy summer. Excited and eager to begin a few weeks of fun, I leapt off the bus and ran towards the street where Ian lived. I turned the corner and my dream summer turned to winter in an instant. Ian's house had disappeared, vanished into thin air, gone. How could this be? Who could steal a house? Actually, the entire street had been swept away, all houses demolished to make room for a new car park. As for Ian and his family, I had no idea where they'd gone, no way to make contact. That was that. I never saw him again. Fifty-five years later, I still occasionally think about Ian and my soul sinks. I would love to know what happened to my friend, how his life turned out, how delightful it would be to meet up to remember those carefree days that we shared. That's led me to think about other friendships that I've enjoyed through the years and to lament the fact that some friendships which I thought would stay strong, they're actually no more. Some close ties came undone due to conflict and misunderstanding. Other times, the flame of friendship faded because our bond couldn't stretch across the geographical distance between us. Or a role or function catalyzed friendship, and when that season of working together ended, the friendships made in that shared space sadly ended too. Sometimes there's a sudden ending to friendship. Jesus knew that pain of disappearing friendships. Mark's Gospel gives a stark indictment about his band of brothers. Then everyone deserted him and fled. We read about it in Mark 14. They vanished into thin air, gone. I've had a few of those kind of friendships, and I'm sure that I've been a less than perfect friend myself. Sometimes when crises hit others, I was not there for them. Other times I spoke words that I now regret, and I wish I could take them back. As a friend, mine is far from a perfect record. Friends make us better. We drink deep from joy as well when laughter is shared. A fabulous experience is so much better when we can turn to a friend and say, isn't this great? But this much is true. Friends often tell us what we don't know. And if their friendship is deep, they'll tell us what we really don't want to know. When those planks appear in our eyes. Friends shape us even if they sometimes disappoint us because there's no perfect fit in friendship and to think otherwise is naive. Friendship comforts but also confronts our selfishness too. And friendship calls us to faithfulness, to hang in there and stick close whether we feel like it or not. We need to love our friends for who they are and not spend our days wishing that they'd be different. So this week... Let's phone or email a friend because a true friend is a treasure and loneliness is literally punishing. Ironically, it took social distancing to teach us the value of togetherness. And speaking of phone calls, there's one I'd especially welcome. Ian, by some small chance, if you're listening to this, do me a huge favour and give me a call. We're thinking about friendship. 
Growing up means that we're supposed to leave childish behaviour behind. I think I've largely succeeded, and if you disagree, I just won't play with you anymore, so there. Seriously, I think I've developed a modicum of maturity. If I'm offered food that isn't to my liking, I no longer decorate someone's head with it, which does make for a much better experience in restaurants. And I no longer scream a deafening wail in the key of G when I'm upset. That would be very silly. The key of C is so much better. But there's one childhood habit that I've not been able to grow out of, and it's about time. It is about time, literally. Sometimes I'd like to suspend time, extend the life of that spectacular sunset, stretch that laugh-out-loud evening with friends so that it lasts a week so I could lob another dozen logs on the fireplace and savour the warm smiles of friendship again and again. It's always been that way with me. As a child, I'd go to the fair, luxuriate in the colliding smells of fried onions and candy floss and then hop on one of those garishly painted merry-go-rounds, you know, the ones with the slightly off-tune organ and the clashing cymbals. But as soon as the ride edged slowly into motion and I'd wave goodbye to Mum for the 20 seconds it took to go around once, I'd edge in to worry. How much time had I got to enjoy this experience? Would the scowling chap with the ponytail who was controlling the ride give me my full quota of time to enjoy being astride the wooden horse with impossibly large teeth? As soon as I began the experience, I whittled away about it coming to an end all too soon. The merry on my merry-go-round was spoiled because I was preoccupied with fear that it would go round too quickly. I really enjoyed the movie About Time. Featuring the stunning Bill Nye, it told the story of a family in which any male could pop into a small dark space such as a wardrobe, clench their fists and pop back to a previous moment in their lifetime and enjoy it all over again. I love the film because I have no aspirations for a back-to-the-future trip back into Henry VIII's court. I'd probably end up witnessing to Anne Boleyn, which would be mistaken for flirtation by His Royal Highness, leading to a very radical haircut starting at my neck. But I'd love to just revisit and relive moments of my own personal history. And I've been guilty of taking the same attitude towards some of the nicer times in my more recent life. Blessed with a lovely holiday recently, I spent much of it wondering, A, how many days of bliss we had left, and B, was this my last experience of this place? My joy was tainted because I fretted endlessly about it ending. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't look ahead, plan, prepare, and even dream. But there comes a point when planning for the future becomes preoccupation with it, or when nostalgia for what was ruins our capacity to celebrate what is. Paul Tournier famously said that most people spend their whole lives indefinitely preparing to live. I don't want to daydream through my days, mentally elsewhere. I want to be fully present and be in the moment now. And this business of being there is not just about time. Go into any restaurant and you're likely to find a table full of people who are there in body but elsewhere in soul, fixated with devices instead of being fully present. They are tweeting or Facebooking someone else somewhere else. And here's a reminder of what we all know about social networking. Unless we're extremely selective, those hundreds or thousands of so-called friends on Facebook are not actually our friends. 
They won't be snacking on the sausage rolls at the bash that follows our funeral. But if we half listen to the people that we're with while concentrating on the souls that we'll never meet, our actual friendships will go offline at high speed. Let's not miss out on engaging with interesting, colourful, needy, inspiring people in favour of the faceless, apart from a dodgy profile photo, on Facebook. Life was meant to be about conversation, not a newsflash. Twitter is most often about declaration rather than conversation, but life was never meant to be a series of pithy pronouncements made in 140 characters or less. Don't issue a press release. Let's have real chats instead. And our phones won't hurt if we ignore them. I've got a friend who is wise, loving and a brilliant listener until his phone rings, beeps or chirps. He is then compelled to answer it even though he might be in a critical conversation with someone who is sharing a marriage crisis, a major career change or a forthcoming amputation. There might be a person on your phone, but your phone is not a person. We need to take control, be the boss, ignore it. Being a machine, it won't get wounded, feel neglected or withdraw into a sulky silence, not talking to us for three days. Believe me, it'll be ready to talk again whenever we are. And we don't need a technology addiction to be absent. Have you ever felt the humiliation of talking to someone who is rather obviously looking over your shoulder, searching for someone more interesting? I have, and it's horrible. I'd rather be ignored completely than be treated to the agony of trying to chat with someone who isn't even pretending to engage with me. Jesus was a great friend. He was a popular party guest, and not just because he was rather good with wine. Whether it was lunch with Danny DeVito in a tree, that's Zacchaeus, fussing over children, clamouring for a cuddle of blessing, or chatting with a well-side wanton woman in the sweltering heat of noon, he was there, asking questions, listening, noticing, being a friend. And those who tried to hustle him away from those vital encounters received a swift telling off. The whole incarnation says this, God saw, he came, and he stayed by his spirit. And now, in a way that I honestly can't fathom, we are assured of his full attention. So, when it comes to intimacy, we're told, love the one you're with. It's a recipe for divorce, heartache and some rather itchy diseases. But it's a good mantra for friendship. When with those that we value, let's ignore those who are demanding our attention via a phone or pesky social media. Let's love the ones we're with. And especially when life is good, love the moment we're in, because in a moment, it'll be gone. So, Mr. Putin and Mr. Chi are dear friends now. Hmm. Easy to say. I wonder what the outcome will be. But regardless of that, let's make sure that the outcome of our friendships are that they last long, that they go deep. And that takes investment and time. Let's put that investment and time in this very week. See you next time. Lucas on Life.